Welcome to the Braveheart Podcast and welcome to The Table. The Table is a series that we're in right now where we're focusing on the table of the Lord and specifically two aspects of the table, which are the proclamation and message of the gospel, but also practicals of living out this message with each other as brothers and sisters and family in Christ. This week's episode, Peter is in Toledo, Ohio, at a Power and Love event with Lifestyle Christianity, and he speaks about how, by the Spirit, to see one another through the lens of the cross and not regard others according to the flesh. We hope you're blessed by this week's message. We love you. Y'all are wild. This is church, man. We're living, are we not? Coming alive in God. These testimonies are messing me up. It's like he really loves people. <laughs> um, I want to share a little of my, my family with you, my heart. So I mentioned that I've been married for 15 years. I have five kids. Um, and I want to, um, this afternoon, I want to sort of unpack how we go from maybe where you feel you are to where I know your heart's burning that you want to be. I'm, how many of you this weekend, you're like, I want to be further? Okay, Todd, you did your job. We, we, all, we all, that's the purpose of these weekends is to provoke us to look more like him. And so, but I want to be, I want to be real. Um, I have been in environments like this for over a decade. And if you don't know how to steward that 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 stirring of the spirit in these moments is really good. It's awesome. Like you, you hear testimonies, you, you see people burning and on fire and mature, but there can be something that can happen. It starts as a pure thing and you get stirred in your faith and you're like, man, I want that. But if you don't know how to carry that well, that desire will rise up and condemn you. And you'll feel condemned and ashamed that you're not where you should be. Has anyone felt that this weekend? I want you to be honest. I'm going to be real with you if you be real. Okay, come on. Yeah, you're like, man, I, great, Peter, I hear you saying that. Great, Todd, I hear these testimonies, but I'm not there, and I don't know how to get there. Anybody? Okay. So I, I want to I kind of peel back the, the hood a little bit um, so that you can see that I'm just a normal guy. Um, and so I'm going to show you my not so normal. She's a stunning bride. Can you put that picture up of my wife? That is my wife. She's incredible. Her name is Christy. Um, she is just an amazing woman of God. I used to believe, get this, leave it up there for just a minute. Because of my past and my, my sexual brokenness, I used to believe that I would not be attracted to my wife. And that, and that God's sort of punishment over me was that that I would be yoked spiritually to my wife, but not physically attracted to her. I believed that with all of my heart. And so when I saw her, and I, when I first met her, and I saw how beautiful she, she is, I was like, wow. And I was like, she probably doesn't love God the way I need her to, you know? Because <laughs> I, I wanted to be yoked spiritually, and then obviously I realized I was just believing such a terrible lie about my father that he was going to somehow punish me. Um, in that. And so obviously I married a beautiful woman inside and out. And then here are my three boys. There's Isaac, Samuel, and JJ. None of them are adopted. That is my offspring. They have red hair. I don't know. The genetics people can figure it out. Um, they're just amazing. Uh, my three boys and then my two beautiful girls, my bookends on either side, my oldest, Faith, and my youngest, Eleanor. And um, she's so sweet. My oldest, Faith, got born again. Uh, yeah, like really born again about uh, a year ago, New Year's Eve. She was listening to Brian Barcelona preach the gospel at our, at our church's end-of-year conference. And she came forward, and she had a very real encounter with Jesus. Um, very, very real. And uh, the Holy Spirit filled her. And now of her own heart, uh, all of my kids are in public school, uh, except the little ones. They're in a little Mother's Day out. And how many of you know public schools are, are wild? And we as parents, we're mindful of what's happening in them, are we not? We're aware of this. 
and yet we're, we're sobered and we're, we're, we're at a little bit of tension. Like you, you don't want your kids to be preyed upon, and yet you realize we're not supposed to live on defense. And so my wife and I were praying, and we invited our daughter Faith into this, this prayer, and we said, Faith, because she was getting exposed to some of this, some weird stuff in her school as a, as a third grader. We were like, this is not cool, you know? Like we don't want this, and she was kind of getting heavy, and then she, she had this born-again experience, and so we started praying. We're like, should we pull her out of the school and put her into the, the church's school that we have there? And we said, hey, Faith, would you pray about this with us? And, and so she said, yeah, I'll pray. And uh, Faith reads her Bible every night. It's awesome. We never taught her to do that. She just, she does it because she likes to read. She's an avid reader. And um, she was at school one day and she came home and she said, Dad, it's about a week later. She goes, Dad, I think God spoke to me about what I should do with school. I said, tell me, what, what did he say? She said, well, it was weird. I was sitting in the lunchroom and I remembered that Jesus uh, I read a story that said that Jesus ate with all the tax collectors and sinners. And I was like, oh, no. And she's like, I think at the church school, everyone knows Jesus already. She goes, I think I'm supposed to stay in my school and make a difference. My sweet little 11-year-old daughter, <laughs> she's sweet, but she's dangerous. She came, I went to send this to Kenny, but I, she came home. Maybe I'll show you the picture later. Um, she came home from school and they had to fill out a thing about, I'm going to graduate in this year and this is what I'm going to be and this is what I'm going to do. And she was like, I'm going to graduate in 2020, what was it, 2030? 2030, she goes, I'm going to be a missionary and I'm going to preach the great gospel of the Lord Most High. This is what, and she had a little self-portrait. This was her aspirations. And yeah, that's awesome. Um, but, but those of you who have marriages and have families know that, that it's this, we can, we can celebrate and we get fired up, but, but this has to be walked out every day. And I want to share some of those stories with you. I want to share that, that I was, uh, man, Todd, Todd came to the upper room early, early 20, 10 maybe, right when we started. And Todd was just, he was the same. He's been the same and maybe worse now than he's ever been. I can testify. He doesn't beatbox anymore, which I don't know why he doesn't do that. I haven't heard him do that in a while. Maybe he'll do it tonight. He used to come and he would just beatbox. He wouldn't say anything. He'd just get up there and start beatboxing. And everyone would look confused and he would just keep doing it. And I think he was doing it just to break the ice and break the religious spirit. Or I don't know, maybe he just liked to do it. I never asked him. <laughs> and then he would just burn. And I remember sitting there and, and he would come through different seasons. And I, man, we were, I was on fire. We were seeking God. We were burning. But like, we need each other in the body of Christ. And I, I wrestled with some of those feelings of like, oh, I don't feel like I'm doing enough. And da, 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 da. And it just, it caused me to run to my father and just actually try to do the thing that he was talking about doing. And so I want to share uh, just from my life. You see my kids, you see my wife, like we've had to learn. We've planted a church. We've been in ministry now for 15 years and I still love God. I still love my wife. Like I really, really love God. And, um, and so I want to share that there was a season in my life in, in that time where my heart my heart got numb to these realities. I didn't feel like I could acknowledge them to be true, but if I was honest, my heart was really numb to the love of God. And I didn't like that because I didn't know what to do. And I was hearing that I didn't need to do anything, I just needed to believe. And I was like, I'm trying, Lord, <laughs> but I don't feel, I'm numb. Anyone? If that's you right now and this weekend, raise your hand. You feel numb. I want to give you permission. It's okay. The guy with the microphone's doing it was there. there. There's a numbness sometimes that sets in, and we don't really know. We don't really know why. You know why? Because we're not the master of our heart. He is. I'm not the Lord of my heart. He is. And it used to frustrate me, and I used to, Lord, why is my heart so numb? And, and finally, I, I just, I began to say, you know what? I... I want to step out on these things that I'm hearing. God, you, 
You died for me. You bled for me. And so the only way I knew how to engage with that truth on a daily basis, obviously I would read my Bible. I would study the scriptures. I would spend time with God. But I would begin to say every morning I woke up, I I, I said this. I said, God, I said, thank you that you love me with all of your heart and that I am in the center of your will and your affections. And I would say it, but the heart was still numb. But I would say it, and I would say it not because I was like some incantation or something, but because I knew the word of God said it. And I knew that it was true of the new covenant. And I would just, I would just say it in, in simple, humble, obedient faith to the word. God, I thank you that I'm in the center of your will and the center of your affections today. And, and Lord, you know what's happening in here. I didn't ignore it. I didn't just pretend like it wasn't there, but I also didn't make an idol of what I was feeling. I was going to let the word be the word, but I wasn't going to ignore and just pretend that my heart wasn't numb. Can we hold those two in tension? And, and I did that for some period of time. I won't tell you for how long because you guys will make a thing of it. But I did it for a period of time. And I remember one morning before I could get it, I could get it out of my lips I woke up, and the only way I can describe this, this has not happened every morning, doesn't happen really many mornings, but the only way I can describe it happened, I went from that, that, that kind of semi-lucid state as you're waking up, Jesus himself was over me, like on top of me, just he was there face to face. And I, I had been numb, I had been numb, I had been numb, and I had just humbled, just, Lord, you, yeah, I see, I do see that you died for me. If you don't, if you're having a hard time believing that God loves you because of circumstances, because of what you've been through, and I'm, I'm, this is not meant to be more intense or harsh than it is, but, but call to remembrance him bleeding and dying on the cross and try to look at him in his face and say, I don't believe you love me. This is what he did for me. He said, look at me and tell me you don't believe that I love you. You can't do it. You can't look at him bleeding and dying and go, I don't believe you love me. You can only feel I don't believe you love me when you're looking at all the other things except that one thing. That's not like, I'm not trying to be I'm not trying to minimize all the other things. I'm trying to maximize the beauty of the gospel. You guys with me? So he was on top of me. Like, I know that sounds weird, but it was just like he was, his he was, face was in my face. And he was just saying, he woke me out of my sleep saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And, and as he was saying, I love you, my heart was like, started to burn. I started to actually feel the love of God. Yeah, thank you. That's my sister. That's like a leg growing out. That's like someone coming back from the dead. The truth of the gospel, when you stand upon it humbly, how do you stand upon it? You confess it. You hang on to it with, a, with, a, with an honest and a good heart, like it says in the parable of the sower. The, those who hold fast to the word with an honest and good heart, they will bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. But you have to hang on to the word. And the, one of the, the only way I knew to hang on to the word was to confess it. Lord, thank you. I didn't feel loved by God. I didn't feel like I was in the center of his affections. I didn't feel like I was in the center of his will, but I said it. Not because I was just trying to say some magic prayer, but because I read it. And it was my, it was my simple, it's the simplest, purest way to hang on and walk out the word of God is to confess it to your father. And so God began to break numbness off of my life, which was awesome. And he began to just, I began to feel, I began to experience the love of God. I, I could, I could, you know, I would hear people call God daddy. They would call him Abba, Daddy. And I knew that the Spirit was crying out with that, but I I told you my dad raised me to be authentic, and so I had a hard time. I wrestle with this sometimes because I'm like, God, 
It took me a long time to be honest with God. Long time. I didn't think he could handle it. I know that's funny and weird, but you laugh, but maybe you do the same. <laughs> like to be really honest, I'm like, God, I don't, I don't feel like I know you like that, where I can call you daddy and that's real. Daddy is an intimate, it's intimate. And I was like, I don't, I want to be able to say I'm lovesick. I'd hear these IHOP guys, House of Prayer, like I'm lovesick. And I'm like, I want to be, I can't say that with integrity though. I can't. I want to be able to say it, but I can't. Come on. And so I was like, Lord, you need to help me. You need to help my heart. I want to be able to call you Abba, Father, Daddy, and mean it. I want to be able to say I'm actually lovesick and mean it. Help me. Help my heart. remember reading the Bible and read the, the phrase, our blessed hope. And I was like, nope. I don't have any real affection. Those who, the, the crown of righteousness laid up for those who loved his appearing. I read that. I said, nope, that's not there. I don't have any sort of hope or love for your appearing. I've gotten more, I've, I've made more strides in my faith by telling God where I'm not than trying to pretend where I am. If you pretend you're somewhere where you're not, you're just hiding from the presence of God with fig leaves and he can't do anything with you. Just tell him. If you're not there, just tell him. Tell him and then allow the truth to master you. Allow the kingdom of God to invade your mind. Allow the gospel to, to transform the way that you think and act, but just be honest with where you're at. And so anyway, God began to awaken my heart to love. I began to just, man, it, was, it started to get real and I was like, wow, this is really, really real. And then, and then I had only been married a few years, and being married is hard. It's hard. It's difficult. There are things that are difficult about it. There are things that, you know, Todd mentioned buttons. I used to have a lot of buttons. I have less buttons now, but I still have some, unfortunately. I still have a few toes. Most of my toes are gone. I still have like little remnants. I'm, I know I'm working, but like people, you, you can't step on my toes. I'm like, well, you mostly can't step on my toes. It's hard to find my, I used to have buttons everywhere. And my wife was like a master, like boop, 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 boop. <laughs> and I would just manifest and just, you know, whatever. He's preaching on patience, and I was like taking notes, you know, grumbling. I'm like, if you don't have patience, you don't have love. I'm like, you don't have love, Todd. <laughs> I'm like, ah. And so I'm confronted with these realities of walking in love and yet being impatient. And I remember, I remember this one time, my, my wife and I were coming back from this trip. We went on this, we, we, I invest in my wife and my marriage and, and I, I try to have this balance between, between marriage and ministry and my kids, seeing my kids grow up. And it's like, it's, it's, yeah, we just try to walk that out in a healthy way. And, and so we had gone on this trip and we were driving home. And, um, and my heart was dreaming. We, we had no money at the time. I don't know if anyone can relate to that. We had no money. And, and yet I was just with this man of God that caused me to dream. And I was filled with faith. And I was like, babe, I'm like, I think we should add an addition over our garage. And I want to make like a place where we can worship and put like cool. And I started dreaming and she just like, she would like shut me down. And I was like, what, what? And she's like, we don't even have money to buy a couch. And I was like, ah. And I got so mad, y'all. I got so mad. I just shut down. Because an offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city, and disputes are like the barred gates of a castle. And that's how our hearts get. When you, when you justify withholding from people, it's because you're offended. People that say, I'm not offended, you probably are. I'm not offended. Mm. You may be. <laughs> you may have a wall there. And uh, so I put up a wall and about an hour of silence went by and she very like, she was like trying to, you know, whatever. And she's like, can we talk now? And I was like, oh, is that what we're doing? Like, I didn't even know. I was so mad. 
And, um, and I really felt like she wronged me. Like, I feel like, and then it, it went on, and then she said some hurtful things. Later, it was like a three-hour car ride. She started saying some bad things, and I got home, and, and um, I don't know if anyone can relate to this, by the way. Um, and, and we got home, and then it got worse. She started really, like, her flesh started coming out and was really coming at me. And I went back in my room. I was so mad. I was, <laughs> and I sat down and I was like, I need to spend time with God. I didn't tell her that because we weren't talking. <laughs> and I was, like, I was like, God, I was like, she's doing this. She did this. Did you see what she said? <laughs> At least I went to God. Some of y'all laughing at me. I went to him that night. Praise God. And he looked at me, and you know what he said? He said, you're right. And I was like, yes. What are we going to do about it, Lord? He was like, you're absolutely right. What she did was, was wrong. You're right in this. And I was like, and I, I was so mad that I, it felt good to be right. I didn't realize he was setting me up to just absolutely drop kick me in the femur. <laughs> and cripple me. God, God does not play. He's gentle, but he's a gentle word breaks the bone. This testimony is literally, if you've ever seen those UFC guys and their femurs break, this is me in my spirit, my femur. God's about to kick me in the femur. And he says, he says, son, you're exactly right. He says, but do you want to be right? Or do you want to be like me? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> he reached down inside of my Christ-likeness, and he began to ring that bell. You want to be right? All right, let me tell you what being right looks like. Being right looks like you get to go build your case, shame her, condemn her. She's already probably feeling ashamed. She's already probably feeling condemned because she was in her flesh, made a misstep said some things she shouldn't have said. Do you want to be right, son, or do you want to be like me? I want you to see how this crossroads happened. I wish I could say in that moment I started floating and burning like a seraphim and just patience filled my heart. That did not happen. I still felt the sting of her punch. I still felt the sting of her punch, and yet I had something stronger than the sting of the punch. I had a word. And I said, okay. I said, you know, he knew, he knew what I was going to say. Because the deepest cry in your heart is to be like him. It's the deepest cry in your heart. The spirit, what, what that means when the spirit's crying out, Abba, Father, it's the deepest, realest part of you is to be like him. You know that. That's why you're here. And this is these crossroads moments of you get to walk like Adam or walk like Christ. And I want you to, I want, I'm bringing you to these moments so that you see how this happens. You don't live like a robot and pretend that nothing happens in life. It happens, and yet you get to do something about what happens. You get to go to God. You get to have a, you get to make a choice to walk in the flesh or walk in the spirit. And it's not always romantic. It's not always pretty. It's not always like, you wouldn't always want to put it on a screen. I'm there in my bedroom, and it wasn't pretty. I didn't, you wouldn't have said, oh, look how spiritual that guy. I was mad. I was angry. I was hurt. God is faithful. And I said, I, I want to, uh, I was like, yeah, I want to be like you. So what, what's, the, what's the play? Well, I mean, what, just tell me, you know, I mean, what are we doing? He says, why don't you forgive her? Well, she didn't say sorry. Look, why don't you forgive her? In your heart right now, why don't you, are you willing to just treat her as if it never happened? Okay. You know what I did? Still feeling the sting of what she did, now feeling the sting of having to let go of what she did. Two different pains. We're deep in your heart right now. You guys feel that? There's the sting of what they did. Then there's the sting of not allowing to bring it up again. Do you know why the second sting hurts even worse? Because the blood of Abel, 
cries out for justice rightly. Hear me. Y'all know the Hebrews 12? The sprinkled blood of Jesus does what? It speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel did not speak a wrong word. The blood of Abel is not wrong. Actually, the thing about the blood of Abel is that it's exceedingly right. The blood of Abel is right. Abel cried out because he, his blood calls out to God and said, Hey, God, my blood's on the ground. My brother killed me for no reason. I did nothing wrong, and yet I died. So his blood actually speaks the right word, and it cries out for what? Justice. I was wronged, and I need this to be made right. But the sprinkled blood of Jesus doesn't cry out for justice because he took the punishment for the thing. And so the sprinkled blood cries out, mercy, I forgive you. Prior to forgiveness, prior to repentance, rather. Before any one of his murderers, which was you and I, said, I'm sorry, he said, Father, forgive them. He forgave before we repented. Were they forgiven? Did they know it? Not yet. But he made a way, he made provision. Had he not said, Father, forgive them, what they did to Christ would have condemned them, that generation, and every generation ever since. We could have never come to salvation had he not forgiven them. So I get out of my bed and I'm like, I'm still, I wish I could say I just felt so wonderful and was so delighted to forgive my wife. I, I can't say that. In this moment, I was still feeling the pain, but I was willing to be obedient to God. And I got up and I had determined in my heart, I'm never going to bring this up again. I'm not going to hold this over her head. I'm going to go hug her neck. I'm going to go tell her I love her. And I'm going to say, let's move past this. When I opened the door and I walked out, she was walking down the hallway and I could tell she was, she was ashamed and guilty. And I said, I said, look at me. I said, I love you. I forgive you. It doesn't matter. Let's move on. And I hugged her. I said, we'll never talk about it again. And I'm, and I'm saying it, I'm saying it and my flesh is like the, the wicked witch of the West, just, no, you know, just shriveling and dying. And it was painful. Your flesh is painful. I know Jesus died for us, but he calls us to follow him in his steps. And it's sometimes I want to just tell you that it is painful, but it's glorious. And in its place on that day, again, just like on the train and a little boldness came over me on that day, I began to see a principle in marriage and in relationships that actually, wow, the love of God works. <laughs> it works. And so when you experience that, it gives you courage and faith the next time something happens to do it again. I'm going to tell you another story. Um, open your Bible just so you feel good. Matthew, uh, go to Matthew 11. There's probably something in there we can read. So marriage is one thing, and then you get like good with marriage. You're like, you're like, I love you. I love you. And then you, you know, you enjoy being married and you look up, you know, some years later and you have five children because you've enjoyed being married and you're like, wow, where did y'all come from? <laughs> Who let you in my house? There's children everywhere, <laughs> loud. And, and, and I'm, a, I'm a, if you guys can't tell, I'm actually a pretty even keeled person. Like it's hard to I just kind of just steady. I like to do endurance running now. I like ultra running. And so I like it because you can run slow and you just, you literally just, you run for like a couple hours. Just, yeah. I don't put AirPods in anything. I just, my feet, you know, like, what are you running from? Uh, my kids, you know, <laughs> just want some quiet time. It's not quiet in my house. So I just got put my shoes on and just start running. It's wonderful. 
talk to my father and hear myself breathe. It's nice. <laughs> Funny story. When we first got married, you know the love languages book, the five love languages? My wife is so, you can probably tell from that picture, she's so extroverted and wonderful and just full of just exuberance. And um, she asked me, she said, babe, she goes, what's your, we were newly married. She said, well, what's your love language? I had never read the book and I had just encountered God in power. And so I would just, I loved being alone with God. She goes, what's your love language? I said, being alone. <laughs> and she looked devastated. She was devastated. She was like, what? Being alone. She's like, that's not a love language. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know. What are, what are the love languages? It's like quality time, gifts, words. I'm like, oh, I like all those. With you, I like them all. <laughs> so you have kids. See, you, you get married and you have no kids and you think, I'm good. I'm sanctified. I got no more buttons. Then you have children. And then like midnight and 2 a.m. And, and, the, and the stomach bug goes through the house with five children, both ends coming out, you know, and you're like, you know, you got bowls and towels and you're, it's 3 a.m. and you haven't slept and you've got work and you got meetings the next morning and it's just, and you, I mean, it'll test you. You think you, in those moments, I remember I had this thought, I was like, I wish a Navy SEAL was here right now to experience this. Like I would put this up against that. Like this is so real. And my wife and I actually shared recently in the last couple of years, we shared a wonderful moment of sanctification and victory at about three in the morning. This was happening. We had a stomach bug. Two or three kids were, were going down at the same time. And she had bowl, she was, she had a bowl. We were, we were like, it was like a choreographed dance in the middle of the night, passing each other, getting towels, doing laundry. And we looked at each other, like falling in love. We were like, we're doing it, babe. Like we're not yelling at each other. We love God. We love each other. We're taking care of our kids. We were like, yeah, you know, little moment of victory, you know, like it's like years past. You're like, give me, where are the towels? You know, that's. Sam, quit throwing up on the floor. Get to the bathroom. What the carpet, man? You were right there. Just one step onto the wooden floor. What's wrong with you? He's like, Daddy, I'm three. I don't know. I... He's just puking all over his sheets, and you're like, What are you doing? You try to teach a kid to go to the toilet. They're like, Why would I go to the toilet? You know, and you give them a, like this tiny bowl, and they're like, I threw up, and it's all over everywhere. And so. Kids are, kids are trying. They'll test you. They'll, they'll, they'll test you. So my boys, there was a season of my life as my boys were growing up, and they're still growing up, but they were younger. This was a few years ago. And I, I noticed, um, I know none of y'all do this, but I started trying to control my kids' behavior with my anger. <laughs> you know, just loud noises. I could be louder and more big than them and just stop. I said, and just, and I started noticing anger, like this, this offshoot of anger come up. And it took me, it didn't take me that long. I, every time I happened, I was like, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I, you know, you got these scriptures, but, but it's so visceral because you're like, dude, I literally told you like 14 times, don't do that. <laughs> The whole what are you thinking to little kids, by the way, doesn't work. I learned this from Chris Vallotton. They actually don't know what they're thinking until they're like 12. No, I'm serious. Like, like scientifically, their brain, the part of their brain that understands why they did what they did isn't fully developed till they're 12. So when you look at like an eight-year-old, what were you thinking? They're like, I don't know. They literally don't know. And I got delivered. I stopped asking that question. Because kids do stuff, and you're like, what were you thinking? And so I remember there was a season I was having my quiet time. Let's just read this. Uh, Matthew 11, Todd's quoted it, 28. Matthew 11, 28 says this, come to me. Uh, I was just reading this in my quiet time. It says, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And as I was reading that, this is how it happened. I'm in my little chair that I read my Bible in, and I'm reading that, and, and that little phrase, those four words for I am gentle, just kind of 
they just kind of leapt at me. They just kind of, I'm gentle. And, um, and I had been noticing for a few months, my heart was getting angry. And I'm like, Lord, I don't like this. And I don't really know what to do. How many of you, when you recognize anger and you start asking God for patience? And uh, I remember this, this instant happened. And so I, there were times where I had to repent to my kids. I'm like, man, I, I yelled at you. Like, I'm sorry. If you screw up, just say sorry. And I did. I was like, I'm sorry. I'm, hey, boys, it, it's that weird balance of like, what you did was very wrong. I shouldn't have yelled, though. You know, <laughs> And, um, and, and so there was this one day and, and I, my kids were actually wrestling. We were trying to get out of the house and they were wrestling. And, um, I was like, Hey, stop wrestling and do, I had asked them to do like two things. And, um, I went to go do something. We were flying around, we were late or something and they were still wrestling and I could feel the thing, you know, you feel it coming up You're like it's coming. And all of a sudden I heard a whisper, I'm gentle. And I was like, oh. And then he said it again. He goes, I'm gentle. And, and, and you guys know when the Bible says one thing he's spoken, two things have I heard? He wasn't telling me just that he is gentle. He was actually saying, I want to allow my gentleness to come through you. And so again... When you're first getting breakthrough, you'll still have the feelings of maybe anger. And so I'm feeling angry, but I have God in me saying gentle. I, I want you guys to see that it wasn't like just, it, sometimes it's not just magical. Once you get victory and dominion, then it becomes first nature to be gentle. I say first nature. But at the beginning, there's a conflict and there's a, it, it, there's a rub. And so you're, you're learning to walk a new way. And so I'm trying to describe that newness, the, these moments, these, these inflection points in my faith walk where this stuff has been played out. I hope this is helpful to you. Being married and being parents is real and, and walking with God. And so he says, I'm gentle. And so I got down, still feeling my, the, the bubbling, like boiling and I grabbed down and I just got down close to my boys and I said, hey, I said, boys, come here, come here. And I just grabbed them in their face and I said, come here, come here, come here. Shh. I said, hey, I love you. What did daddy ask you to do? You know, like I wasn't just, I'm not, not gonna be their dad anymore. I'm gonna be gentle, but I'm gonna be their father. <laughs> Amen? And so I just fathered them from that place and I began to recognize, wow, wow, this is how we walk this out. This is how is, it's, it's a little whisper from the word that then you get an opportunity to walk out and to see, wow, it really works. I didn't need God to give me patience. I needed the gentle one to just let him out because the gentle, patient one is living inside of me. Do you know how different that is? It's so different trying to get something. Well, God, give me this patience and give me that little bit of kindness. No, 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 no. Just let him out. He's in there. Just imagine like whatever the area of your life is that you feel defeated in. Like if it's, if it's sexual brokenness, did you know that Jesus has the most pure whole sexuality of anyone ever? He's pure and he's in you if you're born again. And so instead of trying to obtain something out there that you don't have, get in touch with the pure one inside and recognize, wow, wonder if the reason you care so much about that torment that you have is because the pure one lives inside of you. And you can get in touch and begin to identify with Christ within and say, Lord, what would it look like for me to begin walking like you in this place? Are you guys with me? Go to 1 Corinthians 13. I know we're not doing a wedding. Um, I'm just going to read a few and then, and then we'll pray. Rafi sang it this morning in, in uh, Betty, but you know, Jesus is so easy to love. He's so easy to love. Um, even sometimes, to be honest, people on the streets, the homeless people, 
are pretty easy to love because they never sinned against us. You know, it's easy to elicit compassion for someone that you don't know. If you tap into the heart of God, are you with me? Um, the battlefield for this lifestyle isn't just out there. It's also in your homes and in your churches and amongst the one another's. The hardest people to love are the people that you think should know better by now. This is why so many Christians are hurt by pastors and leaders because they project upon pastors and leaders because you're a pastor, because you're a leader, you of all people should not hurt me because you're representing God in a very public way. And so people get hurt and it's, and it's very easy to see. And, and we know this intellectually, but I think it's really important that we begin to renew our minds to this. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to equip you in real life, like for your marriage, for those of you who have kids, for those of you who are cultivating a relationship with God and you're facing numbness, I've given you handles hopefully this afternoon to walk this journey out. Are you with me? I want to I wanna do this for, for those of you who are in, in and around ministry, in and around church. This is a landmine, and it's, and it's absolutely, it's destroying folks. People are so offended in church, by church people. And so I want to I wanna get into this, and I'm going to get into it very, uh, just gently, because I realize, like, there's very real hurt and really real pain and and I want to figure out a way by the grace of God, by the Spirit of God. I mean, again, this is an invitation to all of us. If you have pain from church, um, here, here's the invitation. Here's the promise. God wants to heal it. He wants to heal your pain. I mean, he wants to empower you to walk in freedom in a way that that pain has been keeping you in bondage or stagnant in your walk. He wants to set you free from that. He doesn't want you to be stuck in pain. And a lot of times we get stuck in pain when we make an idol of our pain. You guys know what I mean when I say that? When you take what you went through and you exalt it above what he went through, that's making an idol of your pain. Now, some of you hear that and you're saying, you're diminishing my pain. No, 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 no. I'm not diminishing your pain. God cares about your broken heart and he wants to heal it. Absolutely. It's, it's part of his job description. He, he, he actually was sent to bind up the brokenhearted. So he will bind up your broken heart, but you have to allow him to do so. And you cannot idolize what you went through in a way that, that keeps him from touching it with his love and his grace and his mercy and his perspective. Okay. Perspective is really, 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 really important. I have people come to me all the time and they're seeking prayer, yet their perspective is off. Their perspective on people is off and on God is off and they're asking for prayer and I don't give them prayer. I don't. I mean, I sometimes do. But oftentimes if I examine what do you need prayer for and they begin to describe, they're describing a perspective that's wrong, that's, that's contrary to the truth, that's producing something inside of them that they think that I can just pray off of them. But if you don't change your perspective about God, about yourself, or about people, the internal reality of feeling jealous, of feeling angry, of feeling anxious, it will remain because the thing that's causing that internal thing is your perspective. Todd touched on this in one of the earlier sessions. He says, if your eye is single, your whole body will be filled with light. What's he saying? He's saying your internal space, how you, what you feel is connected to how you see. That's your perspective. Are you guys with me? So if I look at a, at a, at a leader and I go, man, this leader doesn't see me. My perspective on this pastor, this leader, he doesn't recognize my gift and I'm unwilling to see this leader through the lens of Jesus, I will begin to feel certain things inside of me that may not be connected to reality, but that are very real to me. Does that make sense? Have you ever had a relationship where you assume someone thought something about you 
and then you actually went and talked to them and there was no, there was no bearing on it? Well, a lot of people don't actually go and, and bridge the gap. They just make the assumption and then they begin to live and operate based on their perception. These people are hugging. They're like, I've did that. You know. <laughs> First Corinthians 13 says this, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. The other translation says, and it does not count wrongdoing. It doesn't keep any record of wrong. Love keeps no record of wrong. And I want to I highlight this phrase, it keeps no record of wrong. And I want to just, maybe by the Holy Spirit, just again, I'm very, I'm just inviting you guys into this journey with me. Examine your heart where you have kept a record of wrongs of those around you. A record is a memory. It's a memory. It's maybe associated with some pain, some hurt, some frustration, some irritation. In, in the most benign case, it's just something that you carry internally. In the worst toxic of cases, it's something, it's a record that you keep and talk to everyone about. Are you with me? In the mildest of cases, it's just something that you keep a record of in your own heart of wrong that justifies you withholding affection, pulling back and saying, I don't want to be in relationship with you anymore. Todd was touching on this with boundaries. But love keeps no... Why? How can love do that? Let's be real. To let go of the record of wrong feels like an injustice. True? Can y'all, can y'all be real? It's real. It feels like an injustice. So how can we do it? God's not, God's not unjust, is he? So what you have to do is you have to begin to see that the sin that they committed against you, so their sin against you, he paid for. He paid for it. So for you to collect a debt on something that they did, you're collecting a debt that he already paid. You're saying you owe me when he already paid you. So the reason we keep record is because we have not learned to transact with the cross when it comes to one another's being sinned against. See, we love the cross for me. We don't love it for one another. Oh, I'm serious. We love, well, we are the unconditional love of God, the mercy of God. We worship God. And then our brother sins against us. What did you do? See, we love it for me, but we don't love it for one another. 2 Corinthians 5, we quote it all the time. Do you know 2 Corinthians 5? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old is gone. Do you know he's not talking about you? I'm going to show you. I got 12 minutes. That's forever. <laughs> Second Corinthians 5. I want you guys to see this. This is so terrible. Verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. How many of you would like that, to be controlled by the love of Christ? I would. Paul, tell us, how on earth does the love of Christ control you and not the love of man, the love of things, the love of stuff, the love of self? How, Paul? How did you get to that place where the love of Christ controls you? I'm glad you asked, Peter. He says, I made a conclusion. We have concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. So the source of what controlled Paul was connected to a conclusion that he made about mankind in light of what Christ did. So when he saw Christ on the cross, he didn't just see Jesus, he saw all of mankind. 
the cross became the lens. It became so real to him that he couldn't see any human being except through Jesus on the cross. Do you guys see that? It's like he got glasses called the cross and he goes, I made a conclusion. I can't no longer look at an ISIS person or someone in the LGBT community or someone that's super religious or a pastor that's walking in sin. I, I no longer have permission to look at them any other way. Why? Because I made a conclusion. The case is settled. If you conclude something, you're no longer open. See, most Christians are like, well, let's just see about this person. Let me, let's just see. Let's just wait and see. And what are they waiting to see? They're waiting to see what they do in the flesh. They're waiting to look, well, how are they going to operate and how, and listen, the biblical invitation, and again, this is all invitation by the spirit. This is not yoke. This is not heavy. This is just invitation. He says, I made a conclusion. One died for all, therefore all died. And he, Jesus, died for all that those who live, that's you and me, we're among the land of the living. Praise God. We have breath in our lungs. Might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And then verse 16, this is when Hugh Jackman starts singing, from now on. I love that movie. It's so cool. So from now on, what is he saying? From that conclusion, so if you can make this conclusion about everyone, he says this, we regard no one according to the flesh. Yikes. What do you mean the flesh? Meaning what they do or don't do, I don't regard them. That's not my primary lens that I see people through what they do and don't do. Is that right or wrong? How do they do? How do they treat me? No, no, no. This is what he's saying. He's saying, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him this no longer. Watch this. This is the famous verse, 17. Therefore, if you're no longer regarding one another according to the flesh, and you're seeing them through the lens of Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. He's teaching the church not to see themselves as new creations, which that's true and we need to teach that. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 is teaching you to see one another as new creations. Biblically, that's what he's saying. He's saying, I need you to take that glorious reality that you love for yourself and begin to apply it to your neighbor. What does that look like? What would that mean? It means that if your neighbor begins to walk in the flesh, you have a lens of them that is so pure that the way you look at them, talk at them, you're not stumbling over their sin, over their weakness, over their spiritual immaturity, because Jesus, it can be ignorant, and he can be gentle with the ignorant and the wayward. How do you gentle with the ignorant and the wayward? You have this lens towards one another. You're not judging them. You're not going, I can't believe this. Doesn't mean that you're not speaking truth and go, hey, you weren't made for that. That's not, that's not your lot. It's not your lot and your inheritance to be stuck in this sin or just stuck. Dude, you just got so triggered. Walk up. You got so triggered by that guy. You lost control. That's not you. Come on. You're filled with God. I know you. I saw you on that altar. You gave your life to Jesus. And now you're reminding them, looking at them, talking to them like a new creation. And guess what? Your words have power. What if we looked at one another like the new creations that we were, that it wasn't just up to me to, to, to attain to this new creation identity? What if every single one of us took seriously to stir one another up by way of reminder to go, man, you know what? I'm going to live today and make sure that none of my brothers and sisters forget that they're brand new. Come on. That would be awesome. Do you know how awesome I, I'm serious. I used to, we, we, we got to help each other. He never intended us to do this alone. We need every single one of you and every single aspect of your personality and character animated with God to stir up one another. I'll never forget, man. I, I went, I was at my in-laws and uh, I went for this walk and I came home and I was just, I had went on this walk and I was filled with God. I just was praying and I was like, oh, I needed some fresh air. And you know, those moments when you just, you feel like those, those Marvel movies where you just, you're like, like Neo in the matrix, you know, people say I look like Keanu Reeves. I used to when I didn't have the mustache. 
And I remember this guy, he was dressed in all black. He was in my, my, my in-law's yard. He was raking leaves. He was in all black. And he just looked, he just looked heavy. And I just was filled with God. And I didn't see all black and heavy. I just, I don't know. I just was seeing God that day. It was awesome. And I just skipping into my mother-in-law's house. And I said, bro, I didn't even ask him if I could pray for him. I said, can I tell you something? Because I just was possessed. And I said, I said, God loves you and he's got such an incredible purpose for your life. And for like 90 seconds, I just prophesied over this dude. Just like, I just gave it to him. I was like, whatever I was getting, I just let the river flow, you know, just boom, rivers of living water, let it flow, <laughs> bang. Six months later, my mother-in-law calls me. I was actually really discouraged that morning. I got off the train. My mother-in-law calls me and I was like, huh? And she's like, Peter. Yes. She goes, did you pray for my neighbor? I said, what? She goes, did you pray for my neighbor? I said, I don't remember. And she goes, my neighbor, my neighbor, they've been praying for their son for years. And she said that one of my sons prayed for him. She says, well, I want to tell you, he's changed his life. He's lost like 60 pounds. He stopped smoking. And now he's going to hair school and he's giving, he's getting his life right with God. What was it? What was it? It's, it's a lens. And see, family sometimes has such a hard time praying for their family members because they see them with a sort of like, oh, he's in all black. He'd, maybe he doesn't want God. Maybe he doesn't love God. And, and all it took was just, I, I knew nothing. I literally walked in. I mean, Todd will tell you this. You, you walk into the prayers of mothers and grandmothers all the time. We're just skipping on the prayers of grandmothers and mothers. We just dance upon them. You're like the Ephesians 2 good works prepared beforehand. It's all the work of the grandmothers and mothers, and we're just going and just thank you for the fruit and the fruit and the fruit and the fruit. That's what we're walking in. When you go and do event, you're walking in the fruit of other people's prayers. This is what Jesus told his disciples. Hey, guys, by the way, you're going to reap where you didn't sow. You're going to see awesome things that you didn't work for, but you've got, you got to go pick the fruit. <laughs> Put it in the basket. All right. I thought that was wonderful. Stand to your feet. I enjoy being with you guys. I really enjoy it. Y'all believe this. I'm going to tell you one final thought. Um, this, this type of preaching and teaching um, is, is more like being baptized than it is like being in school. So if you feel overwhelmed with the amount of truth and knowledge and your brain can't keep up with it, that's okay. Just drink. You can just drink. I don't have to understand all the molecular details of this to do this. I can just drink it in. So I'm giving you permission. I'm blessing you. And I want to pray for your mind right now. Because I feel right now, some of you, you're like, oh, I can't keep up. I can't keep up. And you feel like that your transformation is connected to your mind keeping up. It's not the way it works. So put your hand on your mind. And I thank you, Lord, right now that we are renewed in the spirit of our mind by the Holy Spirit. And I just declare that we collectively have the mind of Christ. And I declare that every thought, every thought of shame, every thought of like, I can't keep up and I don't understand it, I just hear it right now. It's like in Peter, knowing their thoughts. You can even raise your hand if that's you. You're like, I don't understand. The Lord says, but my spirit is working. And, and, and at the proclamation of truth, realities are being formed in your heart with the willingness for it to be true. It begins to manifest. And so, God, I thank you even now, even now, Lord, by your spirit, by your grace, you would begin to fashion your image. Your gentleness, the love that keeps no record of wrongs, Lord, I thank you 
for these realities being manifest. And I call forth the beauty and the gold and the Christ-likeness in these ones, God. I bless you in the name of Jesus. I bless you. Every single one of you, I just declare a blessing over your mind. I declare a blessing over your heart. I declare a blessing in every frontier of your life that you feel like you're being, uh, that you're losing the battle. I declare the very nature, beauty, and power of Jesus Christ to begin to blossom in those areas. And Lord, we bless you and we thank you for Ephesians 2, that you have good works prepared for us beforehand that we should walk in them. And I pray right now that you would put hope inside of us, Lord, that you would put willing, obedient hearts filled with love, filled with joy, smiles upon our faces to walk in those good works. We love you. Amen.